Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation. Growing Up Nimdruni Interview with Hale Qaderi. I'm your host, Leila Shams of Learn Persian with Chai Conversation. I'm so excited to share with you today my interview with Iranian-Canadian author Hale Qadiri. I read Hale's memoir, Fuse, back when it came out in 2021, and I couldn't believe how applicable the things she wrote about were for my audience. For biracial or bicultural Iranians raised in the West, grappling with issues of identity, of all the difficulties and joys of being raised with all these identities, of the dark sides of it, and all the beautiful sides as well. I'm so excited for y'all to hear our conversation, and of course, for you to experience this book, as I hope you all do. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Hale. Hale Adiri, thank you for talking with me today. <laughs> for having me. This has been yeah. a long, long time coming. I actually read your book back in during the pandemic. I think it was at the very beginning of the pandemic, right? And yeah. when things were just like crazy and all the kids were home and I'm sure you were going through it as well. But I yeah. read it in preparation for this interview and it really held up. And I was so happy to, to read it again with everything that's been going on the past few years. It's been mm-hmm. amazing. I really think you were... I thought this then, and I thought this now, you were ahead of your time with this book, and it's just so, it's so exciting to be able to talk to you about it and and present this to our audience. It's just, I mean, I I want you to give an introduction to it, and you just won an award for it. So yeah, tell me, tell me everything. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So thank you so much for saying that. I know when I published this book, it was one of the things I mentioned in the book is that when I was looking for literature on the mixed race experience, there was like, nothing and especially about mixed race mental health and it wasn't that there was like absolutely nothing I I mentioned a few studies but there wasn't a ton and I was you know going through some stuff and I thought well I want other voices and there's nobody out there because if I just wanted to write this book which is about mixed race mental health uh, specifically my mental illnesses how am I supposed to connect with anybody why is there nothing out there so I I wrote it because if I just want to write again, if I just want to write it for myself, I mean, and not have it published, I could have done this in my diary. Right. But then when you write for the purpose of publication, that's like another thing altogether and a much scarier thing. Although my brothers did read when I was a kid. So, I mean, I really had no point in my life. Well, I'm getting chills right now because thank you for writing that. Like it's a huge thing that you did that you wrote this book because it is so honest and so like, I'm, the whole time I was reading this, I was like, oh my gosh, did her parents read this? It's hard to do as a, especially as someone like in an Iranian household and, and in any household, like the amount of vulnerability that you put in this book, I feel like we've all had all of these experiences for real. Even talking to each other about it is difficult, but then putting it out in a way where your parents can read it and like, oh my gosh, takes so much bravery. So Thank you for doing that. Thank you. Like from the bottom of my heart, really. It's, it's, um, I'm not going to say it was easy and I'm not going to say my parents were happy about this because they're not. <laughs> and it wasn't. Um, 
so it was, I mean, I think I believe I begin one of the essays. I think it's the uh, title essay of the book with girls are dying. And that's why I wrote it because oh. it really on mixed race mental illness for women because women who are mixed race are more likely to have eating disorders and wow. eat in all the all all the other comorbidities that go in with eating disorders you know addiction anxiety in my case ocd like it's all it seems like i lost some genetic lottery when it mm-hmm. comes to mental illness but like me having body dysmorphic dysmorphia me having ocd me having eating disorders being an addict who's now 8 years sober all this stuff is actually really interconnected like it's not as like oh i just have all they're kind of like the same, they stem from the same thing. And, right. you know, in, in the book, I've really tried to pick apart, like, which was nurture, which was nature. And I can't like, I, because I can't, because I was born with anxiety and OCD. My parents and my nurture and society didn't give me that, but certain things in my upbringing and in the world in which I live made it a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. And you have such a, I, I, amazed of how you were able to do this in the book you have such like compassion toward your parents you're not blaming your parents for anything but a lot of the experiences are kind of horrifying especially if someone from a non-Iranian background reads it I feel like a lot of things would just be like how did she deal with this and it's it's things like I said that we all go through you talk about biracial being biracial in the book but you also talk about being bicultural so both of my parents happen to be Iranian, but also I grew up in a society where like outside the home is like one world and inside the home is a completely different world. And, you know, our parents were trying to navigate that as well. So I definitely related with a lot of the things that were in the book, even though I'm not biracial, just like navigating these cultures. So I feel like that's really relatable, but I wanted to actually, before we get into it, I have so many questions, but I wanted to see if you would start with the reading of the book and I don't know if this is like a spoiler or anything. Is there a passage that you like to read? There was a passage, a paragraph on page 166, which is the end of the book. So I don't know if that's a spoiler that where you talk about, you know, despite body positive movements. I was wondering if you could read that paragraph for us. Absolutely. And I think it's fitting. We're recording today and I'm fairly certain, I don't really track this, that it's Bell Let's Talk Day. Bell, or like, let's talk about mental illness. At least it is in Canada. Um, which I avoid altogether because I hate the commercialization and monetization of mental illness. I'm like, Ugh, <laughs> it. but it is. So at least we'll do this. Despite body positive movements, mental health awareness campaigns, an increase in r- increase in racial and cultural sensitivity, and the proliferation of disturbing studies that show substance abuse among women is on the rise. Many people still aren't giving these problems and intersections the attention they deserve, and many of the women who are suffering themselves are themselves among those not engaging. This, I think, is the biggest problem of all, especially since there are more biracial and multicultural people than ever. And given that our digital tether means that we are more doggedly being pursued by images of perfection, be it of the physical or the mental kind. Everywhere I turn, there's another meme telling me how I should live my life, another social media role model sharing her transformative journey and encouraging me to be better, stronger, faster, more beautiful, more authentic. This inspiration saturation of other identities can get the best of people, even those who aren't struggling with their own, let alone those of us who are. It's so easy to lose yourself, to judge yourself harshly as less than half. 
I love that. And I feel like a lot of people can really relate with that. And, you know, when we, when I started off this series, it was called Raising Nimrunis because I was interested in, you know, as someone married to an American, how to raise half Iranian children. And this book, it seems like it, you know, you reached out to me, you were in one of the Learn Persian boot camps, and then you reached out about this book. And when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this seems like it was written directly for this series. So it's amazing you know, you being a half Iranian person. And can you actually describe your background? I actually, you know, I started this series called Raising Nimrunis, which means half Iranian, but you also use biracial. So what is the, like, what do you think is the correct term to use? Durud, everyone. Leila here with a quick message. If you're enjoying this conversation and would like to hear more like it, I highly encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. In addition to giving you updates about our interviews, we send out a weekly email where we talk about Iranian culture and the Persian language. The emails are short and sweet and just give you a few ideas to ponder and inspire you on your learning journey. You can sign up for that and find out a lot more about us on our website at chaiinconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. Now, back to the interview. Because you're not half of anything, you know, you're a full person. <laughs> I, I when I wrote this, I would say this book is like a, a time capsule of who I was at that time and where my thoughts were at that time. And I started writing this like fresh out of addiction. I mean, I'm still an addict, but I mean, like when I was really newly sober. So a lot of my thoughts are like really raw. And I'm not going to say they're undeveloped because they're not undeveloped. I stand by everything I said, but I don't know if I can. I don't know if I'd even use the term half and right. if I ever wrote again right like any even like by racial I mean yes because that's what I am and that's what I want to speak to but I, I also don't want to you know exclude multiracial people from this that are not just you know one or the other and you know it's it, there's lots of combinations so I don't what I would describe it I don't I I'm really like I think I think I talk about this actually in the book, but I'm I think labels are so helpful. And I think when you, they're like training wheels, you know, when you're first like getting your bearings, you know, saying I am this, I am that can be really, really helpful. But after a while, like you don't need them anymore. Right. Or you can get a so yeah, like I'm definitely, you know, my father is Iranian. He moved here during the revolution, I guess, or like right after it started. My parents honeymooned during the revolution in Iran. Like, I don't know. Like it's, and my mom is like sixth generation Irish, Scottish, English. Like the, we call her, as I say in the book, the great white. Like she's just so, so white. <laughs> um, and it's, so that them growing up, you know, my mom, I, those are my parents, but my mom converted to Islam when she married my father. So while I was brought up in Canada, there were definitely, you know, we were told, you know, you're being raised Muslim. Now, talking to other Islamic people, I'm like, oh, this is a different kind of Islam. But I mean, that my dad, like my dad kind of picked and choose, like chose what parts we were going <laughs> to. Like I didn't, I didn't wear like a chador or anything like that, but I was definitely raised with certain, you know, values, like patriarchal values specifically. And it's my dad didn't think I could do anything I wanted to do with my life or be a doctor or lawyer or engineer, but he was also like, you also can't do anything. <laughs> you know, it was, it was this really weird, you know, 
he always said to me, don't take shit from anyone except him, apparently. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, really, I can, I can laugh about it now, but like, as I talk about the book, my dad didn't even come to my wedding. Like he was so upset about who right. I married. Right. This white guy dropped out of college. Right. You know, and it's like, wow, it, I think it was even now it's slightly mind boggling, but it was so long ago that it seems like another world. Like it totally. seems like it happened on another planet. And as a parent, yes, I am. I tried to be very compassionate towards my parents in this. I didn't even have to try to be. They're my parents. I love them. And nothing they did came from a place of ever wanting to hurt me. Right. Ever. They are products of the generations in which they grew up. And that is not is an explanation of these right. things and I have four children of my own I thank god I wrote this book after I had children because I mean I have and I'm sure am screwing them up in absolutely new ways that <laughs> I can't imagine so I try to do better you know with you know allowing my children to have their narratives and their stories and not steamrolling them because you know my 12 year old daughter even since she was like 10 had been wearing like nails like the nulls as she calls them <laughs> like, my father would have killed me he would have been like jendy like <laughs> what what are you doing like he would have been like i would have been able to leave the house if my nails were painted let alone long nails right um but you know i i don't say this is my this is their body right and who am i to it's it's a very harmless thing to do. And, you know, and then I'll have my dad's voice come in, but, you know, men will think that, you know, she's older that I don't, that, that's a man's problem. Right. Not her. He does not have to bear the weight of, you know, the sickness. Right. Of sick, sick men that cannot see that this is a child, you know, like it. And so I'm always having these discussions every now and then I say something, my dad comes out of my mouth, you know, right. and it's like, so I tried, I didn't try to be, I was very compassionate because I, I love them and I don't, I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm just trying to understand how, why I am the way I am. Right. That's right. All. And I think that that's a big contradiction of like Iranian culture in general of like expecting women to be a certain way. But then look at these women coming out of Iran. They're so strong. They're so, you know, amazingly intelligent. And I, I think it's a general issue. It's like, Let's keep women down, but also make them really strong. <laughs> so there's this, yeah. contra- I think that you like experience that contradiction. But another thing that you, you have an essay about English in here, about the Persian language. Can you talk a little bit about that and your father's reluctance to teach you Persian and how you feel about that at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was, became aware of you because I, I signed up for boot camps and I, I'm trying to learn Farsi. And my father just did not think it was important to teach. Interesting. So, yeah, like just what are you going to use it for? Learn Chinese, <laughs> learn French, Spanish. Like at least they're useful. What are you going to learn this language for that you're never going to use? And I don't think it occurred to him that like I just don't feel like I belong anywhere, and the language would help me feel like I belonged a bit more. Like I go to a first bazaar in Toronto, and especially if I'm there with my like I have two children who look like me. Who so I always say I'm ethnically ambiguous. People are like, she's not white, but I don't know what the hell she is. <laughs> um, children who are like blonde hair, blue eyed, like my husband. Um, and especially if I'm wearing one of the blondes, they don't. They usually just assume I'm whatever I am. I'm not a Iranian. I'm just some 
person walking through this bazaar. But especially if I'm with my other children or with my dad, they'll start speaking to me in Farsi. And when I when I have to ask them to slow down or I just don't understand, it's it's just such a disappointment. I think mutual disappointment. Like I'm disappointed. <laughs> They're disappointed in me, or they start lecturing my father on why he didn't teach me. Right. And even now, when I ask him to translate something for me, it's like, it's like he doesn't, he's like, why do you care? You know, like, why do you, like, he, it's not, and also he's just not reliable. Since talking to a few people, Iranian people who've spoken to my dad, they're like, don't ask your father. His his grammar is terrible. Like, (laughs) I, I had to. Farsi language editor for my most recent book this books because there's bits it's Farsi in them and I asked my dad he's like yes that's it and the editor's like it is not it (laughs) oh no that's hilarious well so why is it why do you feel like it's so important like what do you wish that he would have done in a perfect world I I just wish like you're such a sponge when you're a kid I just wish he would have like beyond the like you get it you know I wish beyond the terms of endearments or really dirty swearing that I heard him talk, like that I heard on the phone to his siblings in Iran, <laughs> that, that I had just been immersed in the language because I feel so rootless now and like trying to learn now. I was even listening to Chai in conversation this morning and like the, it was like, okay, I was going to put on anything like just while I do some housework, like the unit one wrap up. And I was thinking, God, like I only had, like, and I'm still, do, like, I have such small amounts of time that I can even try to do this now. Like, I work right. full time. I have, I have three goats, or three goats, and five chickens, and two dogs, and a house, and you know, all the extracurriculars. And like, I don't have time, like, to do this as much as I want to. And I'm, it's not too late. It's never too late. I'm still trying, but I'm not, I'm, like, I'm not soaking it in at the rate that you know, childhood gives you, affords you this ability to just have time. And right. now I don't, so I, I feel very lost. And I feel like sometimes like other Iranian people are like, mm, she's not Iranian enough. If she spoke uh-huh. the language, but I'm not white enough either. So it's like, I, I'm in this like state of like, I'm not allowed to be anything. Right. And, right. It, and, and how does it, how is it for your kids? Like, are you, I know you were trying to teach them. Do they have a desire to learn as well? Yeah, yeah. I speak Farsi to them all the time, especially when we're out. Uh-huh. Um, it's so much easier to like get your children's attention. Like mm-hmm. that's not like don't touch that. Like because at least if I say it in Farsi, like they're the ones that will pay attention. Whereas if I say hands off in a mall <laughs> and like it, and then like I have like five thousand kids turning to look at me. No, just just those ones. So like I speak to them when we're out, or like you know, yeah, like if I need them to come to me or like. No, was it Gornazan? Like, like, <laughs> like I, I'm like, oh, that's a good one for my kids. But I like I speak it to them, and they're aware, especially of those terms of endearment. But and they do want to learn, and we are learning. But it's again, it's one of those things that, on the overall, you know, scheme of things, I have because I'm still teaching myself. It's like it falls down the ladder of things to do. Yeah, but so I have. How do you feel they identify, especially the ones that are more like white presenting? Do they feel Iranian, you think, or do they, have they seen the culture? Are they close to your father? What's their relationship with the culture? Yeah, like, despite the fact my dad didn't come to my wedding, as soon as my son was born, my dad was like, you know, like, oh, you know, like just friggin' 
dying to be around him and I don't exist anymore. I'm not yeah. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I live five minutes from my parents. Like I moved to be closer to them. I'm quite close to them. But um my my children do identify as Iranian, but there's always, you know, that part of them that's like, oh, but I'm only a quarter. And like it's just like they'll start to feel like really like they're not enough to be enough. And I'm like, you don't get no one gets to tell you who you are. Um, I mean, you can't go around saying like I'm Chinese because you're you're not Chinese, <laughs> right? But you identify if you want. But I I mean I know that my very blonde, blue eyed, you know, twelve year old, she has said that some people at school are like, "You're not Iranian. Look at you." <laughs> and and she's like, and then, like I said, I say in the book, like in the summer, she's blonde, blue eyed. In the summer, she goes like so dark. Wow. So burn goes. So 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 dark that some people are like, "Oh, I see it now." <laughs> not all Iranian people are as dark as she gets either. Like it's it's this really phenotypical like obsession that people have that you have to look something to be something, and it's it's infuriating. And even with me, when I have this ethnic ambiguity, I had a nose job when I was sixteen, which I always joke makes me more, even more Iranian, like this rite of passage. <laughs> But because I changed like that very Iranian, no, I changed the thing about me that would have made me a little bit easier to, you know, signify like, and, and I think, well, I shouldn't care, but even my son who definitely, my oldest son is definitely growing into an Iranian nose. He loves it. He's like, I don't know why you'd get rid of this mom. I'm like, well, let's just talk about how big noses are different for boys than girls. And (laughs) it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, but it is. And I, I, I like now I don't think I'd change it. I would have just like loved it up and leaned into it. But yeah, I mean, it's a phenotypical stuff. You talked about your brother's kind of relationship with being Iranian, your older brother, not interested in learning Persian, your younger brother grew up Muslim. How has it felt over the years? What are they like now? My older brother's still not really interested, but interestingly, like he married a a lovely white angel of an individual. (laughs) I mean, I can't call her an angel. Like she's human. Right. <laughs> um, and you know, she she's the one who in the house, just like my mom, the non-Iranian person. Yes, it's the one who, like sets up the hasteen, is really interested in raising their kids with knowledge of it. And right. it, I think it's just the mothers are like the cultural hearts of the family. Absolutely, which is. Like my dad was like, they do not need to know about Nehru's. Like he there. <laughs> he had no wow. us knowing about any of this. But that was at that age. My father, as he's gotten older, is re- like is is reverting. Okay. Like he house in Iran. Well, not quite Iran. It's like by the Caspian Sea area. And he goes there, you know, once a year at least for a few months. None of us come with him because political situation and you know, my my dad's like, you would probably be arrested in five minutes. I'm like, probably. <laughs> I, think, I think he's joking. I'd love to go, but like, not the time, not the place. And, you know, he's, he, I think now he might be more interested in teaching us. But it, then, no. And then my old, my younger brother married an Iranian woman who moved to North America was in her teens. But still, like, it's they're they're very culturally iranian in many ways but i don't think they really like i mean they do Nuruz, they do all the the holidays and stuff but i don't think they're teaching their kids farsi and their okay. kids are they're in a catholic school 
Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know behind that decision, but that's where they are. And so what was the reaction? Like, did your parents read the book? Uh, no. And I'm glad my okay. dad didn't. My dad can't read a text correctly from me. Okay. <laughs> so like, even this morning, my mom sent a picture of my, my two sons when my youngest was a baby and said, oh, like, look at these sweet boys on our family chat. And my dad looked at the picture and said, is that Nula and Rue who are my daughters? I'm like, are you looking at the same picture? Like, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make sense. <laughs> very, very glad because my father like doesn't interpret simple text messages correctly and then I think my mom's read parts of it but not the whole thing I don't know about my brothers and I think my sister-in-law one of my sister-in-laws read it and I know definitely friends and extended family did but like I I really just tried to focus on like things as they affected me so right. I didn't put words in other people's mouths. I mean, there's flat out points where I say, I don't know why someone did what they did. Right. I'm not going to explain somebody else's motivations. And I mean, I, it was really difficult because sometimes like, I wanted to say why I thought someone did something, but that's not fair. Right. And I just was good at that and really tried to focus on my story and what made, how, how people's actions affected me. So I'm not explaining why they did it. Yeah. I take a couple of steps sometimes, but yeah, they're not happy. They're not happy. I wrote it. Even like I had a book of poetry published and I definitely have some like more personal poems and you know, I have one where I, you know, mention my cervix and you can see just like my family collectively like, Oh, <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's like, very, it is very relatable though, because I, and I, I, I think in general, that period where you, like leave home and you become you're starting to become an adult between like then and like when you have kids is very difficult for anybody that I think especially for Iranian culture like I know it was very difficult for my mom and I just because I I felt like there's this whole thing about being in Iran and like going out and like wearing your hijab and then like coming home and you take the hijab off and you're a totally different person you know and I totally felt that about my college experience I felt like there was just things about me that my family could not understand. Like I was navigating a different culture. I was navigating relationships. I was, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to date, but of course I was dating all the time. And, you know, there were just things that I felt like my family could not handle. So I really just like hid my life from them for years. And so I feel like that was very relatable for me in this book. <laughs> and imagining like writing a book where they could possibly read it and see that I'm I, again, I commend you for your bravery with that. I think it's super important thing to have done. Yeah. I think it's just silence, like actually almost killed me. Right. Like, right. Like me not getting help, me not seeking, you know, a support for the problems I was having because I was so ashamed. Just like, it actually almost killed me. So wow. I, I think I was just like, okay, well enough. And what really got me is, again, that line that I wrote, what really got me to talk about it was the fact that I thought I can't possibly be alone. As special and singular as I think I am, there is no way that right. I'm the only one happening to. Like even, you know, the, the Instagram videos where you were talking about, I forget the term, but I was in tears laughing where like Iranian siblings, like my dad and his siblings make this sport out of holding grudges. <laughs> So long <laughs> over right. these things. 
I didn't grow up knowing that was a universal experience. Sorry, right. not universal, but common experience for so many. I was like, why are these people always fighting about stuff? <laughs> like, you know, about really dumb stuff. And you cut people out of your life for years. And I thought, what is, what is going on? Yeah. This is like so much my family. But then understanding that actually this is, I had no cultural reference. Because right. I grew up, like, I grew up around a ton of other Iranians, except when my Ames or Amos came from Iran or Austria or Vancouver or wherever they were. Right. That was the cultural knowledge in which right. I just thought it was a weird family that I love <laughs> I loved like my, I named my youngest daughter after my Amé Saru like I love them so much right. they're, they're still but wow they're a lot right, <laughs> right. yeah and I mean I think that I mean Iranian culture is so unique also in that we had this like traumatic experience this shared traumatic experience that happened and everybody just like dispersed and went into their own like corners like your father you know he went married a non-Iranian woman and then he was like no more Farsi no more like it's all trauma you know and I feel like when you were in the boot camp we didn't have quite the community that we have now now we've like really formed a community and we have these live sessions where people get together and there's a lot of half Iranians there's a lot of Iranians that grew up in the what and everyone's like sharing their experiences and it is all about like mental health and like trauma and these stories are really coming out so I think it is this shared experience that we just haven't talked about and I think like the women life freedom movement also you know caused a lot of these stories to come out and people to start talking about it so what was your experience with that well first first tell me like what the reception has been from people not just Iranians, but other, you know, half mixed identity people. Yeah. So the bicult, like people, as you identify, people who are bicultural even really love this. So like, and so overall, it's been incredibly positive. That's the first thing. And I've been so thankful for that because this was a pandemic baby and my debut. So, right. I mean, not that I hadn't written before, I'd been published before, but I'm not in like full book form. And then coming out of the gates with a memoir when you're like a nobody is a pretty ballsy thing to try to do. Like, why should anyone care what right. I have to say? But I had wonderful publishers who believed in me and it got picked up pretty quickly, which was ever, and there's nothing wrong with self-publishing. If every it's whoever wants to do whatever for your own goals, like do you do you, but I did not want to self-publish right. probably because I did my fine arts and creative writing. So in my head, it was like, you have to publish traditionally, like you have to be rejected and you have to go through this agonizing process of editing and having your heart ripped out. But I, it was, it was not like that. It was all very lovely. Gornica was, is an amazing publisher and most people were wonderful. I had like Italian Canadians come up to me, like my family moved from Italy. Oh my gosh. I identified with so much of this, like that double standard and, you know, living one life outside, one life inside. There is that there are biracial people who absolutely got it and were very warm and receptive and I loved it there's you know the generation mix podcast you know I talked with them like I I met so many amazing people and it's been wonderful and I think it's because it hits so many communities like any book has a lot of hooks right like right. I'm a book publisher for a living like and and every book has so many hooks it's never just about one thing so there's like the eating disorders, there's OCD, there's addiction, there's being a mom and trying to be a good mom. There's, you know, being biracial, there's, you know, autonomy, there's women's rights, there's reproductive rights. There's like a whole bunch of stuff in here. 
So I like, I hooked onto a lot of communities right out of the gate. And I think it was like, I thought, well, if I'm going to publish this book, I'm just not going to shut up. I have to like follow through and not be scared. It's been absolutely terrifying though. And it's it's terrifying, not because I'm afraid of what anybody will say about me. It's because I don't want to disappoint my parents still. And I'm aware that every time this book gets attention, I kind of am. So it's like, you know, when I, the 2023 Canadian Book Club Award, which was so lovely because it's an award that's completely chosen by readers and book clubs. So wow. the literary, like, I love the literary elite. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to, like, turn up my nose at a, a prestigious literary prize. But, you know, there's only so many of them voting for this one thing. So it's quite, you know, everything's subjective. But it's it's even more narrow and subjective. But with this, there's just a whole bunch of readers across Canada voting. So it was really, really lovely to win and know that even people who maybe don't have any of the issues I have, at least related to parts of the book. So that was lovely. But, you know, then you get people who I remember when it was first published, you know, Twitter's a hell mouth, right? But, you know, talking about being biracial and this guy posting a map talk. And I know I'm sure you've talked. I know you've talked about this about how I'm not biracial because the Iranians are white. You oh know, my God. Like, that has been lobbed at me. That's funny. So times I'm like, <laughs> and, and I can remember I saved a thread where somebody had done that. Like I didn't reply. I did not reply to, you know, anything this person said because like, you don't feed the, you don't feed the trolls. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm not going right. to talk to you. I just, just not you're not getting a response. But I remember saving it because it pissed me off enough to save it. But when the when the recent events around October 7th happened and it came to light that Iran had funded Hamas, I just replied to his comment finally and said, how white am I now? Ooh. <laughs> Iranians can like sometimes like you in their and this person was Persian, I should point out. Right. Like he was Iranian. You know, this this honorary whiteness which just feels so gross um and again i am white too i don't think whiteness in and of itself is gross it's just that like take putting on that skin just feels like oh like cannibal left vibes i don't know but as soon as iran does something wrong or weird that is just snatched away and it's like mm, okay so i was like yeah how how white am i in your eyes now like the limits of whiteness that book by uh nita Mike i think i'm butchering her last name yeah talking about the limits of whiteness in america and right. uh, for how, you know, you, you can say on the census that can say that Iranians are white, but the experience, the lived experience of Iranians in America is, generally speaking, not one of whiteness. Right. So that has been like the main issue I've come up against. And also a few people haven't really read my parents with as much sympathy as I would have liked. <laughs> right. <laughs> but out of my hands. Both those things are out of my hands, but especially about my parents, it's out of my hands if their own experience with their own parents makes them very judgmental of mine. That right. that bothers. Well, what was your what was your experience of the woman life freedom movement? What? Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously completely for it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but not all of my family here is right. And I, I've been like asked not to be too public about things because of the people who still live in Iran and because of my like I'm not in any stretch by the stretch of the imagination like 
very well known or anything, but I'm apparently well known enough that I, but like, I'm basically being told to shut up, but I don't <laughs> like it's, it's, I have this like strange, like relationship with not the, not what I believe in the movement, but how I publicly support it. And I, I, I have been very public about my support of it. So like, that's, that's not it, but I guess like for me, it's like, okay, well, let's like, I, I do things like off, off, like for instance, social media, I'm not a huge fan of performative activism anyways. Like it's like, ugh, it's another thing. It's just gross. Like, yeah, you can put up a picture and like, Oh, get all angry behind your screen, but what are you actually doing? I just kind of like actually do stuff. Right. So right. I actually, you know, put my money where my mouth is and take action and get out of my house and do things about it. Obviously like that, that was devastating for me. I mean, hearing about that was just awful because I mean, I don't think many people go through life like actually feeling scared of violence just because of who they are right? or simple innocuous choices they make about their bodies. I mean, and I have, and I do. So right. it it hit me very hard. I mean, one of the poems in my new collection is for Atafara Fabi, who was hung after, you know, she was 16. She was a baby. Wow. Because she had a sexual relationship with an older man, whether it was consensual or not, doesn't even matter. She was put in prison where she was repeatedly raped and then hung. Oh, um, my God. It's like, and I, you know, I wrote this poem about this years ago and, you know, it came out in this collection now and I can even remember thinking like, oh, I hope, hope my dad doesn't read that because like, I don't think my dad understands why I care. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just a completely, it's not even the only generational because I know people, Iranian people, men, women in my dad's, you know, generation who think very differently. And I'm, right. I'm very careful lump everybody into who my father is and my my father is who he is because of the resources he did not have growing up right it's right, not like right. my affluent home in iran you know his mother got married and was pregnant by the time she was 15 wow and many yeah, yeah. of them survived his dad wasn't around a lot like it was tough and I like my, my dad tells stories of when he grew up and he will be laughing about them. And I'm like, that is horrifying. <laughs> that is what anyone should laugh about. That is the stuff of trauma. Right. And I, don't throw, I don't throw the word trauma around a lot because there's so much trauma porn and everyone's like, Oh, my childhood trauma. I'm like your mom right. yelling at you. Not mean you had childhood trauma. Stop. Right. It. Right. 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 And I, like, I don't even think necessarily I had a traumatized childhood. I mean, I may have traumatized myself a lot. <laughs> like, I had a, I had experiences that weren't great, but I don't know if I'd say it was trauma. And so with my dad, like I really try to not excuse things that hurt me necessarily, but I do understand who he is and I don't expect him to else. And, you know, he's a very loving, wonderful person. Like if, if we came out, if my brothers and I came out as queer, my dad would have kicked us house if one of his grandchildren came up he would have been like oh you know I'm, like i'm gay <laughs> like, okay baby it does not <laughs> he's evolving all evolve i, yeah. I don't hold their past self absolutely absolutely well i can't recommend this book highly enough i really think that everybody should read it and i do think it was ahead of its time like i said and and i do feel like you know 
the Women Life Freedom Movement has made a lot more demand for books like this and, you know, voices like yours. So I'm very excited for everyone to read this book. If you haven't read it yet, I definitely think pick it up and check it out. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you want to talk about or anything that you want to end with? No, I mean, I want to thank you, first of all, for everything you do, because your Instagram account is life for me, like every <laughs> saving every single thing. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for making me feel like I can be who I am and part of the community without Absolutely. feeling like pushed out for not knowing enough or not being enough or not looking enough. And first of all, Iranians look so different. Like, I don't know right. how you could, <laughs> like, it's such a, woo, it's a lot. So thank you so much for that. And also um, thank you for understanding the nuance of what I was trying to present with my parents. And I, I get that it is a little bit of a nuanced position, but for being very sensitive about that, because I mean, they're two of my favorite people in the whole world. And I never want to make it feel like, you know, I think you can be critical of someone or you can interrogate your experiences and your past with your family without it meaning that you don't love them. Or that you you think that they were terrible, and absolutely. I think- and I think that like I uh, that's something that's really become clear to me. You know, there's a lot of resentment from people for the language stuff. For example, they say like they're really resentful of their parents for not teaching them, for not thinking that it was important for them to learn. But I always go back to like like this has been a crazy few decades, especially for our culture. You know, and there was, like you said, we don't want to throw the word trauma around, but man, I mean, if there, if that's not trauma, like at, this whole generation of people having their families torn apart, people that they loved so much and like having to come, you know, your father had to come by himself to Canada. He had this lively, wonderful family that he loved so much and he couldn't live five minutes away from them like he probably would have, you know, that's, it's hard. And so he did the best with what he could. And like you said, he wanted the best for you some of the decisions, like we can look back and think like, why did you do that? But he just wanted to do the best that he could with what he had. And I think that it's super important that we like remember that about our parents' generation and really treat them kindly and like with a lot of compassion and a lot of love. And I do think that absolutely comes through in your book. Like you, you speak very truthfully and the truth isn't always pretty, but you do it with a lot of love. And I think that definitely comes through. Well, thank you. I mean, my dad tells me stories about being like thrown out a schoolroom window by his teacher. And, oh. you know, but he, you know, he was born in the 50s in Iran. It was a completely different world. Right. And I, I think that really, I can't, like, I think our parents' generation absolutely can use that word trauma. For me, like, where, where I have issues with it is like when my, you know, nine year olds, like, saying she has to go up and go outside, you know, pick up the dog. Like that was so traumatizing. Like they're your dog. Minus ten. Yeah, we live in Ontario, Canada. Put on some snow pants next time. Maybe even a hat or mitts. I don't know what to tell you. It's a new generation. They have their own thing going on. I don't know. (laughs) Again, I'm trying to remain like every now and then I slip into the in my day, and then I have to. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You don't know Uh, trauma. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. Like we all have our own. Let's lead with love and compassion and not be divisive. I mean, I just to end on this, like I think if there's one thing I could ask people to take away from the book, it's I have a little section where I talk about how the rhetoric about the margins 
marginalized people, marginalized demographics is really hostile. And the, la- the language coming from within the margins is really hostile. Like if somebody does not, if you know, I use the example of me and my husband, if he did not immediately grasp some concept of what it was like to be a woman and biracial and with mental illness right away, I would just want to tear him a new a-hole. And I had no compassion that he was trying to learn. Right. And not everybody learned and not everyone is coming with the honest intention of, you know, educating themselves. I get that. But there are more people who are trying. And we, you know, it's not our job to teach anybody. Absolutely not. But we don't have to be divisive. I think, you know, being open to different opinions and respectful conversations is so important. And the moment that that crumbles, we're in huge trouble. Like when we, when we all live in our little echo chambers where we refuse to listen to anything that's mildly offensive to us. And so I think that's like the one, and I think being biracial kind of gives me like, I, I'm, I'm white and I'm also not white. And it's like, so like when I always feel attacked because I'm both things, I'm, I'm the margins and I'm the oppressor. It's like, ah, <laughs> you can't be nice to each other. <laughs> this is awful. Absolutely. So like, I just say, you know, as much as possible, lead with compassion for other people. You don't have to love them, but respect their humanity. That's Wonderful. It. I think that's a perfect note to end on. And so where can they find your book and where can they find you? We'll have the these links in the show notes, by the way, but if you can just tell us. Thank you. Um, so they can you can get the book anywhere books are sold. So um, I always say support your local independent bookstore, but you can get it at like the more capitalist online. <laughs> i mention the name so you can get it there. Uh, you can get them there too. So it's everywhere. You can find me at www.hollygattery.com or as I say, hollygattery. Um, <laughs> I know I love the white pronunciation too. <laughs> and I'm also at hollygattery on Instagram and TikTok. And please understand TikTok is my playground. Don't come there and expect not to be cringing 90% of the time. <laughs> my children are humiliated that even exists. And then I'm at Holly too on Twitter and I'm on Holly Gattery writer on Facebook. I'm everywhere. Every okay. social media. ubiquitous. Great. We'll link to all of these in the show notes. And thank you so much again for, for doing this many years later. Thank I Yeah. Thank you for everything you do. Honestly, your support has been amazing and your community is just the best. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can see all the resources we talked about on the show notes for this episode. And you can come learn the Persian language with us at chaiandconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. Until next time, Khuda Hafez from Layla.